This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to the first Coffeehouse Shots of 2024. I'm Natasha Furrows and I'm joined by James Heal and Fraser Nelson. Well, Rishi Sunak today has faced quite a bit of fact-checking over his asylum seekers' claims. He's said that they've now cleared the backlog of 92,000. But the figures aren't quite right, James, are they? Well, this is the big dispute, isn't it? Um, and I'm sure Fraser's going to jump in in a sec and tell us uh, why they're wrong. But yeah, they've been going out saying that they've abolished uh, the asylum backlog. But of course, what they mean by that is the legacy backlog pre-June 2022, uh, when the Rwanda scheme was meant to be brought in. And so the big debate has been today about how much have they been able to take out. And actually, as just to some Tory MPs before this, you know, is this just merely a case of control-alt-delete on some of these cases, uh, etc.? Because 17,000 have mysteriously disappeared from the caseload. And it, these aren't people who have been sort of sorted. These are just cases that have vanished and we're not sure why. Well, and again, these are bigger questions about is the Home Office competent in kind of keeping tabs on all these people? What's actually happened to them? Have they just disappeared into the UK? Somebody lost a file over Christmas or something. (laughs) Given the Home Office past record. Um, But yeah, it was previously 136,000. They're now claiming it's just under 100,000. And and Labour are going out saying, you know, it's still eight times what we had when Labour were last in government. So... It's um, a significant issue still, but I mean, Richard Sinek hoping that by demonstrating he's made a big cut of this, uh, it goes some way to alleviating those concerns. But Fraser, they have considerably ramped things up compared to last year, no? Yes, they certainly have put more money, more staff into it, doing their best to try to, to clear this backlog. Um, but the problem here is that this is for, quite rarely for Rishi Sunak, an example of where he tells what you might describe as a lie. Um, his words are, I said that this government would clear the backlog of asylum decisions by the end of 2023. That's exactly what we've done. Now, those were his exact words. He has not cleared the backlog. The backlog still stands at tens and tens of thousands of people. What he's done is he's cleared a subsection of that. Now, if you mean you've cleared a subsection, like those um, who has lodged a claim before um, June 22, it's like, for example, saying that you've cleared the NHS waiting list because nobody's waiting more than two years for an appointment. Now, uh, now, of course, you wouldn't make that claim. It's just a bridge too far. It's not an exaggeration. It's a lie. But you can tell that we're getting closer to a general election when the Prime Minister himself stretches the truth so much that the elastic snaps. So I think this is significant, not so much because of the policy. I mean, it's good that they've cleared a little bit of the backlog, although the numbers themselves are just just staggeringly high. Uh, because it takes because the cases are lost in the legal quagmire, they can appeal and appeal again. One of the themes you see of his government is that it is caught in a legalistic trap of its own making. After 13 years in power, they have failed to come up with a legalistic framework and needed to deal with asylum seekers um, quickly and carefully. It used to be the case that um, 85% were dealt with within six months. Now it's the other way around. 85% have been waiting more than six months. This is misery for the asylum seekers concerned, hugely expensive for the taxpayers who are forking out £90 a night. So this big decision, it has been a big problem, but you can't really airbrush it away by manipulating the English language in this way. You can't, If you've cleared a subsection of the asylum seekers, you cannot claim you've, you've cleared the entire background. He's done this. And the question is, has he been caught out? Will this be seen as a failure? I hope so, because he is not that sort of politician. Now, here I might come across as a bit 
naive, but I'm I, I am so be it. It's it's New Year. I'll be candid here. I think Rishi Sunak is fundamentally an honest person. I think his brand isn't telling hard truths. And he isn't the sort of person when he says something you're pretty sure is not true. When Gordon Brown fell into that trap later on in his premiership, he would make all sorts of um, distortions. And by the end of it, you came, claimed not to, you ended up not believing a word that he said. Now, with Sunak, he's got a different appeal. If he's going to stand any chance of winning this election, it's got to be because of who he is. And he is relatively straight down the line. He's more of an accountant. He's not... Critics say that he's all perspiration and not inspiration, but he's a kind of WYSIWYG politician. What you see is what you get. Now, if I were him, I would try to keep that reputation for straight talking, for telling things how they are, even if he's not going to... He always says, I, I'm not like Liz Truss, I'm not going to promise you things I can't deliver. Um, here I stand, I can do no other. That's been his brand of politics. If you were to jettison that now... In, in terms of um, things that simply aren't happening and saying things that simply aren't true, he would um, lose a very important part of his identity. So I'm hoping his social media team will take what happened today as a classic example of what not to do in the future. And James, just at the weekend, the pollster John Curtis said that the reform votes have been taken away from the Conservatives. Do you think this story is a gift for them? Well, I think the the running theme throughout both of these is the 2019 Tory voters. And I think that around uh, looking at the polls, uh, I think about of the voters who are leaving, the, the Conservatives who voted Tory last time, half of them are going to Labour, half of them are going to Reform. So it's a kind of pincer movement for the party. And I think that Rishi Sunak really struggles with those MPs in his party who see themselves as the kind of keeper of that 2019 get Brexit done flame. Typically, you know, MPs who are voting in some of them were red wall areas, but others weren't, but they see themselves as a, a sort of new brand of conservatism, quite a, a distinct, I would say, from, for instance, the 2015 take where Rishi Sunak was elected, where it was much more sort of Cameroon and kind of you know, f- fiscal conservatism was really the orthodoxy of the day. And so I think that, you know, Rishi Sunak, in terms of the polls, is going to face a real uphill battle. I'd be very interested to see how reform do there because they've talked a lot. They've had a, you know, big stories, you know, Aaron Banks donations, etc. Are they going to deliver it? And I think the difference between... UKIP, for instance, was that there was a genuine Eurosceptic grassroots movement which was able to get the votes out. And now it's about, I think, reform, getting some of that media headline cutting through to try and actually make people aware because they, even reform insiders will say, they don't know, you know, how many people are actually aware of their brand. You know, it's not as strong as, for instance, the Brexit party or the UKIP were after decades. And so that's about the kind of the challenge in the next couple of months or so, heading up to the local elections when we have the general election as well. And the key thing that's going to define it inside Parliament, which I think of course will play less of a role this year because it's an election year, is going to be that Rwanda bill, which we see, we're expected to see, I think, in the third week of January. And Fraser, the Reform Party are polling just as high as the Lib Dems. So do you think they're expected to take as many seats? Well, it's interesting. They're now, within, as you say, very close to the Lib Dems. I think um, I saw that there are 9% by one poll versus the Lib Dems and 11%. But here's the thing. If you go onto the Electoral Calculus website, I think it's very useful because it translates for you how this is going to work out in the Westminster system. Now, if you assume that the Lib Dems get 11% and Reform get 9%, then the Lib Dems will walk away from this with um, 32 seats. That's quite a lot for their 11% of the vote. But with 9%, what do Reform get? Nothing. Zero. Not a single one. 
That simply is because their support is not concentrated in the way that Lib Dems support is concentrated. So you can have, under the Westminster system, we can see reform doing very, very well. I mean, James was one of the first people to write a a serious article on Richard Tice's prospects. Um, But the net effect, I think, will simply be to make life a little bit more difficult for the Tories, but not really to to put them into Parliament. I mean, UKIP at one stage had people in Parliament. Douglas Carswell was there. He was somebody who actually resigned his seat. He didn't defect. He um, he stood as an MP. He was elected as a UKIP MP. It's not. It's looking now as if what um, what even if you get a situation where the Greens have got sort of five six percent, um, that Reform have got nine percent, Lib Dems take ten percent, you'll still get a system which would probably end up with a Labour majority of one hundred and eighty five. So Reform will be one of the themes of his year, I think. Um, but I don't think that they will have a Faragist effect. UKIP, for all, it's the funny thing about them is, of course, you can say that Farage was the most consequential politician of the last 15 years. We, would we have left the EU if it wasn't for Farage? Almost certainly not. But his Westminster story was one of um, one of failure, basically, and I don't think Richard Tice is going to change that narrative. Yeah, although, I mean, trying someone from Reform who said, you know, no one would have thought Richard Tice-led party would be 10 points in the polls. And this is all... The, 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 the lobby's favourite question right now, the number one question is, when is the election going to be? The second favourite question is, will Nigel return? Will Farage come back? Now, as it looks like, we ha- he hasn't committed to doing that yet. And the, tomorrow's press conference is expected to focus on how Reform are going to be appealing to Labour voters. Um, but the key question is, is, as Fraser says in the first part of the post, concentration is representation. What are the party going to be able to concentrate on? If they can't do well in Blackpool South, a very sort of leave voting constituency with traditional Labour voters there, you'd think, you know, where are they going to be actually going? And so the key question is, are they going to be a spoiler or actually going to be a kind of constructive force in the future of British politics? Or is it simply a play for, say, five years down the line about proportional representation? It's funny that you hear a lot of people making plans for Nigel, thinking that he's going to, to, to come back and only somebody like him could really move the dial. I would, even after his um, triumphant spin-off, that well, not quite triumphant, in the jungle uh, a few weeks ago, I, I would be amazed if he's coming back. I think he's quite liking his new role. He's having too it? much fun. Well, he is, <laughs> but politics is hard work. And I think that he's, he, he's, he's walked off w- with an incredible lifetime achievement. Um, and right now he can make a few more he can make the Tories' lives a bit worse but I don't think that's quite enough for him to want it so I think it's Tice or bust I mean Tice is a kind of none of the above person if you're a disgruntled right winger but right now that does look for you know almost a tenth of the electorate like rather a, an attractive option He did say on Spectator TV that he was burnt by the previous general election and you can imagine being someone as successful as him, once you've been burnt, he's going to want to come back and reset that reputation. And also, he had a real purpose there, was to get Britain out of the European Union. What's his purpose now? He doesn't feel as passionately about a a lower tax burden or whatever else that that, that reform might stand for. What what does it stand for, James? Well, it's a great question. Um, I would say that in the last four years, they've focused on a variety of things, including uh, net zero agenda, obviously a bit of migration as well. They want lower taxes, but they also want high levels of public spending so they're not exactly libertarian it's a kind of mishmash and I think that Nigel Farage for instance was always great with a great mission but he was never a policy person or a details person and right now for instance if you have the Rwanda bill unless they rally around something like pulling out the ECHR which you know, people like Ben Habib who's the deputy leader have been vocal on um, it depends if that's going to dominate but in terms of kind of 
legislative agenda or kind of the ins and outs of minutiae of policy, that's not really their, their forte. So it's about, as you say, Fraser, what are they going to fight a campaign on? And if it's just, it could just be as simple as, you know, stop the boats, etc., in which case you'd expect them to take a, um, some of the Tory votes, or they're perhaps not enough anyway to come and try and, you know, retain their deposits in large swathes of the country. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thanks for listening.